0: Welcome to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We are located at 3501 Cheviot Avenue, Cincinnati, Ohio. It is our mission to worship and follow Jesus as we love and serve in his name. Come see us sometime at 10 30 on a Sunday morning or while we feed the community at the Bread of Life Cafe each Wednesday evening at 5 30 p.m. We hope that the following message inspires you in some way today. Good morning, God's chosen, as God's chosen people. Now, thank you for reading that scripture. Uh, John chapter 15, if you have your Bibles uh, with you, John chapter 15, that's where we'll be taking our, our lesson from this, this morning. Uh, we started it last month, part one. This is going to be part two of uh, this lesson regarding our identity as, as God's chosen chosen people. So we started this series uh, at the beginning of the year in January, uh, tracing our purpose in, in Christ. And I've really enjoyed uh, sharing with you some of these uh, 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 things that we've been talking about, uh, talking about, of course, God's mission, his purpose is our purpose, and and how uh, his mission is all about uh, his story, a story that we uh, uh, see in the Bible from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 to the to the very end and so uh, we've asked the, the question how well do we knew that know that story and we've also shared some ideas of how to to share that story with with, with others depending on where we are in life depending on uh, where uh, uh, the person we're talking to is in his or her life we, uh, we share the, the, the story with them and we can share it in different in different ways Um, We've talked about how uh, God, he did not create a a mission for his church. He didn't establish his church and then decide to come up with, well, what do I give these people to do now? But uh, the church was created for his mission, uh, to accomplish his purpose of reconciling uh, all of mankind and all of creation uh, to himself, he created the church in order to accomplish that. And so, when we talk about God's mission, we're talking about this, this, uh, this cooperation between heaven and earth. Uh, cooperation between God and, and us. We participate with him in his mission. Thank you. Um, John chapter 15 um, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 9 through 17. We'll be reading that passage in, in, in just a second. So the last time we were here, I shared with you the fact that uh, Trish and I were going to be uh, uh, going on a, on a real special trip. And uh, thank you for, for asking us. Uh, some of you has asked, have asked us how, how that trip went. It was incredible. We, uh, we were 10 days journeying through uh, Turkey, uh, the seven churches of Asia, and more and then, of course, through Macedonia and central Greece and Athens and Corinth. It was a tremendous experience, a, life, uh, a life-changing experience, really. Walking through these, these, these cities and walking through these, these towns, a lot of them aren't there anymore, and that was the sad thing. Uh, a, a lot of those places are in ruins now. Uh, but walking through those places, walking down streets where uh, uh, the first generation of our brethren walked, uh, 2,000 years ago. What an honor. Uh, what an experience. And then, of course, uh, going through these places and reading Scripture as we did so, and, and uh, uh, it was really, really awesome. And thank you for praying for us while we were gone. Uh, uh, it was an exciting, very exciting time for, for Trish and I at some point. Hope to uh, uh, share some of those experiences with you all. But here, John chapter 15. And so, talking about our identity as God's chosen, who are we? Well, the the Bible talks a lot about who we are. Uh, last month, um, before the sermon, we read uh, uh, first uh, First Peter chapter two that talks about the church as his holy nation and a, and a, a holy priesthood. And we've been chosen. Uh, by him, and we've been established by him as his holy people to uh, share his goodness. As that's the way the New Living Translation puts it, to share his goodness with, with others. And so that's what, what we do. Uh, God's chosen. Um, we talked about the controversy uh, between uh, these ideas of who actually chooses Is it God that chooses Or is it us that, we, that, that choose And we talked about the fact that Well, uh, both things are true uh, God chooses and we choose also And both of those, both of those concepts work, in, 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 uh, uh, work together They don't work one uh, against one another You see, there's some people that believe That God is the one that does the choosing And it doesn't matter what you do If you're chosen, you're chosen and there's others that say, no, no, God is not the one that chooses. We're the one that, 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 that choose. No, both operate in cooperation with one another. God chooses, and, and we, cho- we choose also. And, of course, we talked about that, that concept uh, last time. Uh, uh, both of us, him and us, we choose. Uh, uh, the future, our eternity, is based on God's choosing us, and it, of course... Uh, depends on us choosing him. Also, uh, he will not save us unless we choose him, uh, and he will not save us unless we're chosen by him. Uh, so both concepts work in, in in unison. Now, here in John chapter fifteen, uh, beginning in 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 verse nine. Um, Jesus is with his disciples, and, of course, these are his, the, the, the last hours of his time with them. Uh, very soon he's going to be uh, betrayed. He's going to be uh, uh, sentenced. He's going to uh, die in just a few hours. And so before all of that takes place, he's spending this time with his disciples. Chapter 13, chapter 14, through chapter 17, the first part of chapter 18, is is all this this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Of course, he's trying to encourage them. Uh, They become discouraged because they know that he's going to be leaving. And of course, he's been everything for them for the last three and a half years. And now he's, he's going. He's going away. Evidently, they're discouraged, and he tells them, let, let not your heart be troubled, John chapter 14. Uh, and of course, he, he, he relays that promise. I'm going to prepare a place for you, because I, I, I want to be in a place where you're with me. So I'm going to go, and I'm going to prepare this place uh, for us. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send my Spirit. I'm going to pray to my Father, and He's going to send His Spirit to you, and He's going to be with you forever. And so he's encouraging his disciples. And we get to, to John chapter 15, and, and, and he uh, gives them this allegory of how important it is to remain in him. And in this conversation, and beginning in, in verse 9, he tells them As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another so we started this this uh, uh, this lesson la- last month and talking about this this idea of what uh, God has in, in in mind what Jesus has in mind for his disciples as his chosen and what does it mean to be chosen and so uh, what is the purpose of his choosing well we talked about last time, that, uh, that, that last time we were here. We talked about how he, has cho- he tells them, he tells his disciples, I've chosen you for the purpose of friendship. And we talked about how important friendship is. Now, they have probably been gooped into the idea that they're the ones that have chosen to follow Jesus. And maybe even doing him a favor by following him and, and helping him on the way. And of course, he he he. Uh, uh, and that that's why I believe when when he mentions in in verse sixteen, you did not choose me. He's stressing that fact that he is the one that has chosen them. You did not choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And so, last time we talked about how the how he's chosen us to be his friends. He's chosen us for friendship and what that that really means. And being a true friend is is something wonderful. Now, we talked about usually when we go through the the, the concept of, of, of making friends, that's what we do. We make friends. Jesus chooses friends, which means... Um, because of his position, because of his position as God, he has the right to pick and choose who's going to be his friend and who is not going to be his friend. As a matter of fact, he's already made it clear, there's one of you among here who is not my friend. <laughs> of course talking about Judas. Now he chose him to, to follow him as, as his disciples but, uh, as one of his disciples, but he's not one of the chosen. He's the one that's decided to follow the, the guise of, of, of Satan in all, in all this. But being chosen as his friend. You see, we don't choose friends the way he chooses friends. We don't go up to somebody and say, Hey, you know what? You're going to be my friend. And from now on, you've got to do what I say. How does that sound? Now it, it doesn't work that way. We make friends. But Jesus, because of his position... He chooses. So like it says up there, his position allows this type of friendship where he chooses who's going to be his friend. Why does he choose? Why does he go through this process of of making friends? Well, because of his passion. His position and his passion, those are what motivate him to friendship. And so just like in the apostles' case, Uh, We also have been chosen as friends, and it's a special relationship that we have with him. Romans chapter 5. We concluded uh, last month reading Romans chapter 5. And uh, uh, I know most of you are very familiar with this passage. Romans chapter 5. beginning in, in, uh, in verse 6. Last time we read beginning in verse 1, but we're going to read uh, beginning in verse 6. For when we were still without strength, this is the, uh, the New King James Version, I got it from the back. Uh, I don't have a New King James Version, and so uh, I, I do on my computer, and I like to read from it. Um, so, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely... For a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Now, notice verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through through whom we have been received, we have now received the reconciliation. Now, the New Living Translation, Uh, Instead of translating this this word as reconciliation, it says, we have been made friends of God, because that's the idea. Before we were enemies, now we're his friends, because we've been reconciled with him. And so we've been chosen for friendship. But that's not all. Secondly, verses 9 through 11, we are chosen for fullness. And that's one of the mess- messages, of course, that Jesus, I'm sure that Jesus wants his disciples to understand here. Okay, what I have in mind for you from here on out is this concept of fullness. In, in class this morning, we were talking about this idea of what inspires you. Why do you come back every Sunday? Why do you participate in community meal on Wednesday? Why do you participate in small groups? Why do you observe the Lord's Supper? What keeps you back? What, what keeps you coming back Sunday after Sunday? And of course, uh, during class, these different ideas uh, were shared. You know, what, This is what inspires me, and, and, and I think about uh, this brother, and that inspires me. So, what is your motivation in life? And the reason I ask that because, is because I think Jesus is very clear here what his motivation is. You see, Jesus' motivation in life was the love that the Father had for him. That's what motivated him. How much the Father loves him. We're reading this morning from Acts chapter 2, verse, verse 42, that talks about these four pillars in the church that, that led to growth. Verse 43 says, And this sense of awe permeated the church. While they were dedicated in, 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 in the apostles' doctrine and, and fellowship and prayer and the Lord's Supper, this sense of awe permeated the church. At least that's what the New Living Translation says. Uh, The the, the New American Standard, uh, the, the New King James says a sense of fear. But it has to do with this sense of awe. Seeing God work. You see, that's what motivated Jesus. How awesome his Father is and how much he loves him. You see, there's something special about being appreciated. There's something special about being loved. That's why when, when, when brethren do something special for the church, we show our appreciation to them. And we mention those things to the church because it's special. It makes us feel important when, when, uh, uh, when, when we are appreciated. There's something special that happens in us when we uh, feel like we, we belong and that we're loved and that we're appreciated. John chapter three verse thirty-five. Jesus says, "The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand." You see, He had no doubt about the Father's love for Him. John chapter ten verse seventeen. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. John chapter fourteen verse thirty-one. So He's uh, so the world might know that I, in turn. Love the Father, Jesus says. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. So there's this mutual love. But you see, Jesus' motivation in life and what in turn uh, took him to the cross was his love for the Father and his love for mankind. That's what motivated him. And so now Jesus wants them to experience that same motivation. And so, uh, verse verse 9, As the Father loved me, I also loved you. I love you. We can never say that enough to one another. I love you. They are loved. And so Jesus tells them, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then he says, abide in it, abide in it. The Father loves you, so stand in it. That's what should motivate us to do everything we do and be who we are. The love that the Father has for us. So what is the proof? How do we know that we are abiding and that we're standing in the fact that he loves us? Notice verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The same exact way. And of course, he's been an example for them for three and a half years. They know what it's like to abide in the Father's love. And so he tells them, how do you stand in it? Listen to Him. Obey Him. Do those things that He desires of us. And then, talking about this idea of fullness, what is the result? Notice verse 11. What is going to happen when this happens and we abide and we stand in His love and we obey His commandments? Verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be made full. So, we are chosen for fullness. And here in this passage, he talks about this fullness of joy. Later on in chapter 16, he's going to talk about the fullness of of hope, and the fullness of, of trust, and the fullness of love. But for now, he's talking about this fullness of joy. This word fullness, it's the word plero, or plero in, in Greek. And, and it, has, it carries this idea as, as much as is possible. Completely satisfied. And it carries this, this concept of being totally dominated by something. You can't put any more into it. Uh, yesterday, we, we celebrated uh, Ivy, our, our, uh, our granddaughter's birthday. Seven years old. And uh, there, were a lo- there were lots of things to eat. We made hot dogs, and she loves hot dogs. Well, Auburn loves to eat. She loves to eat. And so, uh, uh, oh, a couple months ago, we took her to our favorite restaurant, Costco. <laughs> and I asked her, well, what would you like? Would you like a hot dog or pizza? And she said, both. Both. <laughs> And she ate both. She's only about that big. She ate both. Well, uh, uh, she, she enjoyed her hot dogs yesterday. It wasn't just one. Uh, and, and, and her snacks. And after she ate, she was like this. She was satisfied. She was full. Nothing else fit into that little belly. See, that's the idea of this concept of play ra'o. Jesus, the joy of Jesus You can't fit any more into it. And so this this fullness of joy. So when Jesus talks about the fullness of joy, he's talking about this this joy that that permeates your life. It's what pushes you to be the, uh, the, the Christian you should be today and tomorrow and the next day. And even better the next day. You see, because that's the idea of growth, right, that we're going to talk about in a little while. Uh, Growth carries the idea of of, of today I'm better than yesterday and tomorrow I'm going to be better than today. But this fullness of joy, it permeates your life, it satisfies. And so we live life satisfied to the full. And that's why Paul could write the church in, in Philippi. We went to Philippi. That was probably my favorite experience, and it still fills me with goosebumps when, when, I, when I think about walking through the city, of the ancient city of Philippi. And there's a river that runs through that city. It's the only river there. And so we went to this river, and that's probably where Paul met up with Lydia and the rest of the ladies there. You see, there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. There weren't enough Jews. And so he's there by the river. And, and we went by the river, and then there's this, this area that the water just kind of uh, stills. Well, that's probably where he baptized her. And it still fills me with, with goosebumps. And so Paul, from prison, writes to the church in Philippi that was so special to him about joy and fullness, being satisfied. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, but I have received everything in full. He's in prison, and I'm sure that the, that the Christians of, from, from Philippi are, are wondering if he has any needs, and he says, well, I've received everything, and I've received it in full, and have an abundance, he says. So I'm full, and I have an abundance of stuff. And then he says, I am amply supplied. That word amply is this word Rao? You see, I don't need anything. I'm here in prison, and I've got everything I need. Now, did Paul really have everything he needed? Now, there are probably a few things that he was lacking, right? But as far as he was concerned, he could live with this fullness of joy in the prison because he felt that in Christ, he doesn't need anything else. That's this idea of fullness. In the New Living Translation, in verse 11, where it says that your joy may be made full, it says, yes, your joy will overflow. Overflow. Isn't this what the world craves? You know, if you, if you talk with people That's what people say that they want out of life. You know, I I just want to be happy. I just want to be content. The problem is the world looks for contentment and joy in all the wrong things, in stuff. And stuff doesn't bring this. Things don't make us, they might make you happy for a little while, but then stuff breaks, wears out. You know, that all of a sudden, the 40-inch the, the, the TV is too small. I need another one. I need a bigger one. And then a bigger one. You see, because stuff doesn't, doesn't satisfy. But this is, the, this is what the world craves. And the only source of this fullness is God. Jesus is the only thing that will fill that gap. He is the source. Of fullness and his full his, his the joy that he brings it's overflowing and that's the joy of living the Christian life see we're content just with having what we have in Christ true joy doesn't come with stuff there are a couple of prayers in the New Testament uh, John chapter 17 it's a, a Jesus prayer And what's neat about these prayers is that since they're in Scripture, that means that they're inspired prayers, which means that they reflect the will of God. So it's not just Jesus' desire. You know, his prayer in John chapter 17, it's not just what he desires, but it's what God wants. And so verse 13, John chapter 17, verse 13, he says to the Father, but now I come to you, And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in them. I want them to feel this fullness, Father. Why? Because that's what God wants. God does not want us to, to go through life just frustrated day after day after day. And by the way, that's what life brings without God. This is the same old routine every day. You see, but God brings something different into the equation. Brings this fullness. Ephesians chapter 3, this is uh, Paul's second prayer in the book of Ephesians, which also, since it's an inspired prayer, reflects the will of God. This is what God wants. And he writes, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God How repetitive Did you get that? Be filled up to all the fullness of God. Everything that has to do with Him. His fullness transferred to us. Which in turn fills us up. That's what God wants. Fullness. We've been chosen for fullness. So the question. What motivates you? Or was. What was asked in class, what inspires you? So, we are chosen for friendship. I'm convinced that that's one of the things that Jesus wants his disciples to understand before he goes to the cross. You are my friends. I love you. Secondly, we've been chosen for fullness, fullness of joy and peace, and love, and hope, which only comes through Christ. So, stand in it. Abide in it. Thirdly, we're chosen for fruitfulness. Chosen for fruitfulness. Verse 14. John chapter 15, verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. In verses 16 and 17, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. This idea of being fruitful, it has a real broad uh, connotation to it. Uh, But it always implies action. Always. Even when we talk about love. You see, because love isn't a feeling. Love implies action. So, this idea of fruitfulness always implies action. Everywhere. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And of course, the, this idea of walk has to do with, with live. As a matter of fact, the... the The uh, uh, New International Version translates this this word, live. But it's, it's the Greek word, peripateo, which literally means to walk. It means to walk in circles, like a journey. So as you journey through life, journey in a way that's worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. We're all familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace, and goodness, etc. It all has to do with work. It all has to do with doing things. And so John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go. Go. This is the Greek word, hupago. It's the Greek word, go. It's not the same word as the, as the word in, in Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples. It's not the same word. But the idea has to do, of course, with action. But what's interesting is that in the Greek, it's in the subjunctive mode, as the subjunctive mood, which implies this possibility of action based on something else. What does that mean? Um, You can choose to do it or not to do it. It's not like an imperative. An imperative, you have to. That's what an imperative is. It's a command. You have to do this. This is in the subjunctive mood, which leaves the decision on our part, but it's based on something else. Well, what is that something else in this context? The something else in this context is what we're talking about, being fruitful. So he, he wants us to, to be fruitful, but he's saying, as, you're, as you bear fruit, go. Choose to go as you bear fruit. You see, because this idea of bearing fruit t- should be something natural in us. And it's not a command, but it has to do with a response. So go and bear fruit. As as you're you're going about doing these things, you go. All this, this action that takes place, well, go and do it. So, what is the idea? Well, the idea is Jesus is saying, I didn't choose you just to be my friends. And I didn't choose you just to give you fullness of joy, peace, and love and hope. I've chosen you to be fruitful. I've chosen you to grow and to go. Because don't forget that all this is in in this context of I'm the vine, you're the branches. That's what he's been talking about from, from the very beginning. The vine and the branches and bearing fruit and more fruit, much fruit. Remain in me. You see because fruit is a sign of growth it's a sign of maturity and it's something that is expected our uh, daughter-in-law she has a small garden in her backyard and so i was looking at it yesterday and i saw she had some some small plants of strawberries no strawberries on them so i said uh, so i noticed you planted strawberries she said yeah, i don't know if they're going to give fruit or not but When she planted them, she was hoping for fruit. She didn't plant them just for purdy, because they're not very pretty; They're only about this big. But she planted them with that idea, well, they're not bearing fruit. But see, fruit is something that we expect, right? And so, fruitfulness describes the the, the Christian life and growth and maturity, uh, action. And there are some obvious characteristics about this concept of fruit that I hope we can understand. First of all, fruit is noticeable. You can tell when there's fruit. You can see it. People shouldn't have to guess whether you are a Christian or not. Fruit is noticeable. Others should notice. And they won't notice if we're just like everybody else. So, first of all, Fruit is noticeable. Second, fruit is nourishing. Fruit is nourishing for others. You see, apple trees don't eat apples. Fruit is nourishing for others. All of God's blessings, every single one, spiritual blessings, and physical blessings are given so that we might share with others. And I think it's a Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about uh, not, not, uh, uh, not stealing anymore. He said, don't steal anymore. Work so that you may have to share with others. He didn't say, you need to work in order to provide for your family. He doesn't say that. He says, you need to work with your own hands so that you might have something to share With others. You see, God blesses us in order to be a blessing uh, to others. Your Christianity is not about what you can get, but about what you can give. We've always told our kids, and I was talking to Jonathan about this this last week because he's kind of struggling finding his place in, in the congregation where, they, where they're at. But we've always told uh, Elena and Jonathan, when you're looking for a church, don't look for their programs as something you can get out of them. Don't, don't look at it that way. But what you need to look at is what the church is doing and how you can add to it. See what you can bring to these, these programs. You see, because... Fruitfulness is about nourishing others, not about nourishing ourselves. In Chile, um, our neighbors to the back, they had an avocado tree. It's a huge tree. And uh, uh, some of the branches uh, hung over to our backyard. That's a good thing, right? Because all the fruit that's on the other side, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's ours. And so it, it was a wonderful thing. And if we got to the, to the fruit before our dog did, Uh, Because he loved avocados also Um, We were blessed we were blessed by the neighbor's tree But see fruit is nourishing, but it's to nourish others thirdly fruit is natural So uh, it's noticeable it nourishes and fruit is natural all the branch has to do is Just remain attached to the tree, right? And that goes for us also. You see, trees don't have to work hard at it to give fruit. You don't see trees trees excuse me you don't see trees sweating in order to produce fruit. It just comes naturally. It flows naturally, and fruit in our lives you know, love, joy and goodness and all that kind of stuff that, that Paul uh, talks about should come naturally so you want to be fruitful again abide stand in it remain attached connected to the source Jesus and his body this morning we were talking about the importance of being involved in the body that's vital for us and I think that's one of the main points of 1st John chapter 1 when he's talking about walking in the light and having fellowship with God and with each other. And when that happens, when we have fellowship with God and when we have fellowship with one another, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sins. See how important being connected is? So, in this case, since this this verb that that that, uh, that Jesus uh, or or that John uses when he when he when he when he's uh, relating this story to us, uh, that we go and bear fruit. God's desire is that we go and bear fruit. What's the warning? Verse fourteen: You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So question: How good of a friend are you to Jesus? Because he has chosen you as His friend. He's a good one. He's the best kind of friend. The question is, how good of a friend are we are to him? And beware, he's not looking for perfection. He's looking for availability for us to be there. He's looking for submission. He's looking for obedience. He's looking for trust all of the time. You know, we we, we repeat that phrase, God is good. Uh, He's looking for faithfulness all of the time. Friendship all of the time. So are you his friend? Well, if you are, live his fullness. Live his fullness and be fruitful all the time. You know, being a friend has to do with having things in common and doing the things that our friend likes to do, right? So when we talk about Jesus' mission, what is it about? It's about reconciling all of mankind to himself, right? We've talked about that. That's what he wants, that's what he desires, and that's what he wants us to be a part of. That's why he chose us. So wouldn't you consider an honor to be one of God's chosen? And if you're in Christ Jesus, you are. Now you might be here this morning and you're not. The neat thing is that God wants to be, Jesus wants to be your friend. And he wants you to be full. And he wants you to bear fruit. Last month we read 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse verse 9 that uh, uh, talks about those who stumble are those that don't accept Jesus as the cornerstone. And they stumble because they don't obey him. And He says, or Peter writes, but you are not like that. You are not like that. For you are a chosen people. Chosen people obey. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show... This is the New Living Translation. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. You see, as is chosen we have this tremendous blessing and this awesome responsibility to tell the world the story of how good God is and how good of a friend He is. And fullness is only in Him. The good news of His goodness. Our trip to Turkey and Greece was an awesome experience. But about 80% of it, was covered looking at ancient paganism. Temples here, statues there, altars over here, paganism all over the place. And Paul and others came with a message that was far above what any pagan god could answer and that's, or offer. And that's why the good news and God's goodness was so appealing to Gentiles. You see, because they couldn't see it in their gods. They were offering all these sacrifices to to, to their gods just to make sure that they wouldn't get upset with them. And all of a sudden, they hear about this God, this God that Jesus, that uh, Paul mentions when he was in Athens, that, hey, we are his offspring. He's not far. And all he wants is for you to change. Because there's going to be a time of, of judgment God's mission, our mission, sharing his, his goodness. Your theme for the year, closer to Christ, closer to each other, closer to community. Um, chosen for closeness. Closeness with him, closeness among ourselves, being friends, being full in Christ and being fruitful. Now, you might be here this morning, and you have not experienced that. You haven't been born again. Uh, That can be resolved in a matter of minutes. Are we going to sing an invitation song? Okay, if you have a need, there are many people here willing and able to share God's goodness with you. God bless you.